welcome. Uh, it is good to see all of you here. It is good to see so many familiar faces um, that I haven't seen in a while. So welcome. It is good to have uh, so many of you back. We're going to start this morning um, with two uh, short um, scripture passages that I'm going to read. And uh, you can turn to those if you would like. Uh, the first one is Matthew 14, 15 through 23. Matthew 14, 15 through 23. And the second one is Luke 6, 6 through 12. I think they will be uh, familiar passages. But let's go ahead and read those. Uh, Matthew 14, 15 through 23. When it was evening, the disciples came to him and said... This place is desolate, and the hour is already late. So send the crowds away, that they may go into the villages and buy food for themselves. But Jesus said to them, They do not need to go away. You give them something to eat. They said to him, We have here only five loaves and two fish. And he said, Bring them to me. Ordering the people to sit down on the grass, he took the five loaves and the two fish, and looking up toward heaven, he blessed the food. And breaking the loaves, he gave them to the disciples, and the disciples gave them to the crowds, and they all ate and were satisfied. They picked up what was left over of the broken pieces, twelve full baskets. There were about five thousand men who ate, besides women and children. Immediately he made the disciples get into the boat and go ahead of him to the other side, while he sent the crowds away. After he had sent the crowds away, he went up on the mountain by himself to pray. And when it was evening, he was alone there. And then let's look at a similar passage in Luke 6, 6 6-12. It says this, On another Sabbath he entered the synagogue and was teaching. And there was a man there whose right hand was withered. The scribes and the Pharisees were watching him closely to see if he healed on the Sabbath so that they might find reason to accuse him. But he knew what they were thinking, and he said to the man with the withered hand, Get up and come forward. And he got up and came forward. And Jesus said to him, I ask you, is it lawful to do good or to do harm on the Sabbath, to save a life or to destroy it? After looking around at them all, he said to him, Stretch out your hand. And he did so, and his hand was restored. But they themselves were filled with rage and discussed together what they might do to Jesus. It was at this time that he went off to the mountain to pray, and he spent the whole night in prayer to God. Now this morning I would like for us to spend some time contemplating an aspect of Jesus' life that I assume most of us would be familiar with. Uh, We read about his life in the Gospels and we probably know the story as well. And I assume both of these stories that I read today, uh, we are familiar with. Um, and and I, I'm wondering how many of you are trying to find the parallels between the two stories. Um, you know, we are well aware that Jesus is our supreme example of how we are to live, and we readily admit that becoming more like Christ should be the goal of our lives. Yet I suspect that there may be some sort of disconnect in a certain area between the way Jesus lived his life and the way that we live ours. And I'd like to, I'd like to talk about that this morning. Um, now it is possible that part of this dilemma we find ourselves in is how far we are removed from the earthly life of Jesus. 
I mean, Jesus, you know, he was here 2,000 years ago. None of us walked with him. You know, we read about him. We read these stories. We didn't experience what it was like to be with him in that way. And I believe we can have a view of Jesus that sees him as transcended, divine, eternal, right? Which he is. But we can do it in such a way that it almost renders meaningless Hebrews 2.17, which says, For this reason, he had to be made like them, fully human in every way, in order that he might become a merciful and faithful high priest in service to God. Fully human in every way. Now, maybe I'm being unfair, and and, um, you can tell me with your faces if I am. Um, But, you know, we say things like, uh, you know, Jesus had to eat. He had to eat. Uh, But we might think, but did he really, though? I mean, mean, he was God, so... um, or, Or Jesus had to sleep. Yeah, yeah, I know he did, but, but on the other hand, I mean, he was like, did he really? Did he really have to? Um, what about Jesus needed to spend time alone in prayer? What about Jesus needed to spend time alone in prayer? And if you haven't noticed, the two similarities with those two passages that I read concluded something big, uh, miraculous, emotionally maybe draining, And we see Jesus slipping away alone to spend time in prayer. And I think those are parts of the stories that we can just kind of gloss over. Like they kind of of, uh, patch between two stories a lot of times in the Gospels. Uh, We read them. We know it happened. But because he went away alone in prayer, there's not much written about it except he went away alone in prayer. And so we can just kind of move past it. And so I would like to spend some time this morning... Focusing on what we can, what we can learn from that, and so, um, you know, Mom, that passage, uh, Psalm ninety-one: He who dwells in the secret place of the Most High. Uh, we're going to kind of bounce around that. I'm not trying to say that I'm going to be able to define that, but we're definitely going to try to hit on that uh, this morning. I, th- I thought that was uh, very appropriate what you shared um, earlier. You know, like I said, maybe, maybe it's just me when we talk about having struggles identifying with Jesus in this way. You know, we say and confess that he was fully God and fully man. You know, we say that, but uh, the fully God seems maybe a lot more fuller, maybe sometimes. Um, and when we have that mindset, I think we can miss the example that Jesus set for us because we can assume that for him it must have been different. Like he wasn't really like us, was he? Um, so I've titled this message, Seeking God, a Life of Prayer. Seeking God, a Life of Prayer. And so just a couple questions for us to think about. Uh, what role did prayer have in the life of Jesus? What role did prayer have? What was the importance of prayer in his life? You know, what did Jesus' prayer life look like? Yeah, and depending how we answer these questions may determine how we view the similar questions in our, in our own lives. And, and so I'm just going to read a couple other um, verses that talk about Jesus praying. The first two are going to be the, the last sentence of the passage we read earlier. Matthew 14, 23. After he had sent the crowds away, he went up on the mountain by himself to pray. And when it was evening, he was there alone. And Luke 6, 12 says, 
It was at this time that he went off to the mountain to pray, and he spent the whole night in prayer to God. Mark 1.35 says, In the early morning, while it was still dark, Jesus got up, left the house, and went away to a secluded place and was praying there. And the last one, Luke 5.15-16. But the news about him was spreading even further, and large crowds were gathering to hear him and to be healed of their sicknesses. But Jesus himself would often slip away to the wilderness and pray. So these references all demonstrate something that I think we all intuitively know. Jesus was a man of prayer. I think we would all, we would all know that. It was something that he deemed to be of much importance. It was manifested in his actions and his priorities. But have you ever stopped to ask yourself, why did Jesus feel the need to pray so much? Of all the people, why the constant desire? Like, why, It was Jesus. Why did, he, why did he need to pray? Why did he desire to pray so much? If we think about Jesus' life seriously, you know, we're probably surprised at how often he drew away. Um, I mean, the last verse I read there says he would often slip away. Uh, we can tend to think about him and his ministry just being with people constantly, preaching or with the disciples or teaching or this and that. And yet these passages say that Jesus took lots of time um, away by himself. So why the solitude? Uh, didn't he come for humanity? Other people? Did he really need to spend time alone? Well, let's think through a couple uh, possibilities together, um, and then we'll get, get into the, to the rest of the message here. But just a couple things when we think about ways to answer this question of why did Jesus spend time alone. I'm not saying that I agree with these. I'm just saying a couple of options here. Um, one option would be, you know, maybe Jesus needed to pray more than we do. So maybe he had to. Maybe for some reason he, he just needed to pray more than we do. I don't know. His life was difficult. His, his task was hard. Um, okay. Um, maybe the, another option would be that Jesus didn't really need to pray. I mean, after all, he was the Son of God. Um, he just did it to set a good example for the rest of us to follow so we can read these stories and say, okay, we should, it's important. Um, I think both of those go off the deep end. Maybe a third possibility that, that I would like us to really engage with is, is it possible that maybe Jesus' life and ministry was draining and he needed to constantly recharge and stay connected to his Father? That he loved his Father and he knew that spending time with him was paramount to the success of his earthly ministry. And I, th I, think, I think that's something that we need, to, we need to wrestle with, because how we understand why Jesus prayed so much has implications for our prayer life. Jesus wanted his Father to be involved in every aspect of his life. He lived his life in a way that demonstrated his desire to be one with his Father. You know, and I don't, I don't believe that the garden and the cross were the first times that Jesus conveyed to his Father, not my will, but your will be done, and into your hands I commend my spirit. These statements didn't come out of the blue. They were words issuing forth from a relationship where they had always had their grounding. So let's, let's bring this back to us now. And when I say us, I really do mean us. I'm talking about myself. <clears throat> yeah, I'm going to make some generaliz generalizations 
but again, I'm, I'm speaking first and foremost about myself. So if some of these, some of you guys don't hit these quite right, then that's fine. Um, but there's some things that I, as I've been thinking about this and, and working through this, um, yeah, there's some things that I, I think we can identify with uh, in our lives and we can get uh, truth from uh, the life of Jesus and his prayer. Um, so if Jesus wanted to be near his Father, why do we too many times insist on keeping a separation? It's just, just a question. And, and, and in the way, that we, the way that we intentionally pursue a life of prayer. You know, it can seem that we are more comfortable on time spent away from God than with him. Sometimes, And I, obviously, I don't mean that we think through this, like I'm intentionally, I'm going to separate from God, but look back at your life the last week, the last month. What do our, what do our actions say? What do my actions say? Time separate from Him minding our business instead of seeking to learn how to be about His. And we know that one thing that Jesus was, was about His Father's business. We know that we are to learn many things from Christ. He is our leader. He is our example. He is our Lord. We learn humility from Him. We learn forgiveness from Him. We learn surrender. We learn love, freedom, peace, and truth from Him. We learn all those things from Him. And we readily admit that. Should we not also learn what it means to live a life of prayer from Him? And so, this ties us into all the other scriptures um, that compel us to action uh, that we're familiar with. And I'm just going to read a few of them. 1 Thessalonians 5.16 Rejoice always, pray without ceasing, and everything give thanks, for this is God's will for you in Christ Jesus. Ephesians 6, 18. With all prayer and petition, pray at all times in the Spirit. Luke 18, 1. Now he was telling them a parable to show them that at all times they ought to pray and not lose heart. And of course, I, I couldn't... Uh, pass on the opportunity to pull Philippians 4, 6 out of the bag. Be anxious for nothing, but in everything, by prayer and supplication with thanksgiving, let your requests be made known to God. And then maybe a Psalms 116.2, because he has inclined his ear to me, therefore I shall call upon him as long as I live. Why are we in need of constant prayer or of living a life of prayer? I think that's the question that we need to ask ourselves. Why are we in need of that? You know, I think we are all trained to know that prayer is important and something we should strive for. If you were to ask somebody, what, what is manifested in the life of a Christian? They would say, you know, read your Bible, go to church, pray. It's something that we would know. But besides it being what many Christians may assume is a simply a dutiful act... Why is a life of prayer important? What does living a life of prayer accomplish? Why is it important in our lives? So for the rest of the message, I'd like to, to turn in that vein. Um, and just a couple points before we get in um, to maybe some reasons why we struggle with this. Why is it important in our lives? There's a couple points here. Um, I think number one, it helps us to constantly be confronted with and remember the difference between our fallenness and the divine. When we quit engaging in prayer, when we quit engaging in open communication, um, 
we can lose focus of who we really are and of who God is. We can so easily build ourselves up and we can become proud and arrogant um, and, and all the other things that come along with that. Um, each day is filled with possibilities, opportunities, reasons to be selfish or worried or stressed, to be distracted and held captive in mind and action. And we are not immune to it. Being Christians, we are not immune to this. We need to live in communion with God, open communion, where God's um, all those decisions and questions and, and doubts and things that we have that we're going through, that we, we process that before God. If we process that over here by ourselves, um, we, are, we are sorely missing out. We're sorely missing out. And, and it gives us strength and equips us in our attempts to, as 2 Corinthians 10.5 says, take every thought captive. Or as John 16, 13 says, be led into all truth. Or Philippians 2, uh, 3 through 8 would say, do nothing from selfishness or empty conceit, but have the mind of Christ. It enables us um, towards that end. And so I have a couple reasons of why we uh, may struggle with this that I, that I thought up and I've thinking through my life and, um, and thinking through what are some reasons why we, if we know prayer is important, if we saw that a life of prayer is important to Jesus, why do we struggle with that? Why do we struggle to prioritize it or maintain it? And, and so here's just a couple um, of reasons possibly why, maybe all these do not apply to you, and that's fine, um, of why we may not desire or find it difficult to live a life of prayer and maybe a little response to each one. Um, Number one, I have, we avoid it because maybe we don't actually believe we need it. Or we're uncertain of how to actually pray like this. Um, it seems so far above us. And, um, or maybe we just don't actually think it's, it's that important. Um, this is the group that would say, yeah, I'm not sure why Jesus spent all that time praying. I guess he just wanted to. Glad it worked out for him. Um, he seemed to enjoy it. Uh, we tell ourselves, I don't have anything to bother God with, um, or I would talk to him, but I don't really have anything to bother him with. Uh, you know, I pray before I eat and at church, and so we kind of have this prayer thing checked off. Yeah, I pray. Are you a man of prayer? I'm a man of prayer. I pray. Um, but see, prayer is not an, an end to itself. It's not something that we just check off. Rather, it is a way for every action, every thought, and desire to be breathed upon by God. That is what living a life of open prayer is. That is what of living, dwelling in the secret place is. Under the shadow of the Most High. When every action, thought, and desire is breathed upon by God. It is possible, and I'm, I'm asking this question here because I've, I've thought about this. I'm wondering if it's possible um, that as Anabaptists, and, and along with other Christian traditions, uh, who view other integral parts of the Christian walk, like some of the sacraments, from a more symbolic lens, okay, that we end up viewing a life of prayer maybe the same way. I'm just, I'm just wondering on that. It's maybe a symbol of a relationship with our Creator, um, where actually living a life of openness and constant prayer 
seems more mystical than we prefer, maybe. It's a little, little uncomfortable. Um, we maybe like things that we can define, nail down, fully understand, etc. And, and living a life of, of prayer, I mean, I, I can't sit here. I'm not going to be able to tell you this morning, by the end of this message, this is exactly what this is. And um, sometimes we like to be told, read your chapter of Bible a day, say, you know, pray for three minutes. Um, so I'm just, just curious about that. Um, you know, I don't know, but I do know that, that even our own liturgy uh, betrays us, I think, in a good way in this. And I'm going to just go a little tangent here. Have you ever been singing a song from our hymn book and thought, hmm, that's, that's, uh, that's pretty lofty right there, that's a statement, that's, hmm. Mm, I'm singing that. That's. Um, I don't know if that accurate describes me at all, honestly. Right? Um, where I'm at, my heart's at, even my heart's desires. You know, um, and some of you, you know exactly what I'm talking about. You're, you're, you're like, man, if I think about these words, that's, that's aggressive. Um, you know, we sing the songs like, uh, and so in, the, in that vein, back to this concept of like prayer, we sing songs like, uh, tell it to Jesus, or be thou my vision, or give me Jesus. We sing the song, I need thee every hour. I need thee every hour, right? Temptations lose their power. You know, I, I need thee every hour. No tender voice like thine can peace afford. In joy or pain, come quickly and abide, or life is vain. We, we sing these things, Okay? It's not really even whether we are able to mean those words in the moment when we sing them or not. It's, it's, it's the truth of them. And that's, that's what this little segue I like to convey that. Um, I want to explain what I mean by that. Uh, whether you are able to mean the words or not, there's truth in them. There's this concept of, I believe, help my unbelief. Um, you know, the church has always understood uh, that, that in liturgy we shed our individual aspects and we come together collectively as the body of Christ. We come together collectively as the body of Christ. This is why the creeds, okay, say, we believe. They don't say, I believe. They say, we believe. You know, there are times in our Christian walk where we personally may be experiencing brokenness in such a way that it hinders us from emotionally identifying with or even being able to claim some of these scriptures or these songs or these prayers about God. But by entering in communally with the church body, past, present, and future, we do not lie and we do not deceive. Rather, we lay hold of truth and promises that by faith we know belong to us as well, for we are part of the people of God. Okay? And so, I want to get that point across because I think we can have this feeling that um, I'm, just, I'm just not really there. And so to enter into this concept of prayer or to even like sing some of these songs or whatever, it's not... I don't know. It's, it's kind of the same way we have this feeling sometimes where we have to have everything perfect to come to communion. We have to have everything perfect to sing these songs or, or claim these promises, and we don't. Um, th- there are promises that are for us uh, in our brokenness. And, and again, as, that's why communally as a church body that is so important um, for us to remain together. We need prayer because it is a way that we continually come to Jesus. Continually come to Jesus. Prayer is not simply communicating what we desire or what we are going through to God. 
And I think sometimes we can just feel like prayer is, I'm just telling, just telling Jesus about my life. Um, prayer is desiring through our mind and body to be one with God. To be one with God. A life of prayer is being open before God continually and examining ourselves, our thoughts, our actions, our desires, along with Him. It doesn't mean that one must spend hours every day with their head bowed and their eyes closed kneeling before God. And I want to say that because I'm especially worried some of the younger ones may be like, I just, I'm going to fall asleep. I'm not, I'm not saying that you have to, like, head bowed, eyes closed, um, kneeling. Though I would wager to say that most of us could dedicate more time in that way. So I'm not going to let us off the hook on that either. But it means we quit living our lives, and I think this is important, we quit living our lives like our salvation is simply a one-time event and not a journey. That instead of letting Jesus in the one time he knocked, it means we let him in every day. For as surely as we must die to ourselves each day, we must open the door and live for Christ each day. John 6.35 says, Jesus said to them, I am the bread of life. Whoever comes to me shall not hunger, and whoever believes in me shall never thirst. We know that verse. We're like, great, I came, I came to Jesus. That verse applies to me. But it says, whoever comes to me shall not hunger. How often do we live our lives in a way that denotes this verse to the past tense, where I came to Jesus that one time a long time ago, so I'm good. And yet we wonder why we are hungry and thirsty. It helps us make sense of verses like this, Matthew eleven twenty eight. It says, Come to me, all who are weary and heavy laden, and I will give you rest. Come to me. We must come and continue daily. For the worries and doubts and sins of life continue to make us weary and heavy laden, do they, do they not? And do we not crave rest? Then let us go and continue to go to the one who says, Come to me, and I will give you rest. And so that's, that's the response to that, that first, um, maybe we just think, maybe we don't. We don't really actually need um, a prayer. Uh, the second one would, would maybe be something like this. Do we avoid spending time with a heart and mind in prayer with God because we are scared of judgment? Um, you know, Jesus was perfect, so it makes sense that he wanted to spend so much time with his Father. I mean, that kind of makes sense to me. Um, maybe we sense the tension between his holiness and our sinfulness. You know, maybe it's been a, a rough day, uh, or a rough week, or a rough month, etc. And we tell ourselves that we will seek God out again when we are more worthy. I think this is something that we can just, we can just feel. Uh, I don't really feel like spending time with God right now. I don't feel like talking through what I've been going through right now. Um, I will have a point when, that, when I feel like that, but it's not now, and so we'll, we'll get there when we, when we get there. Um, but this line of thinking is based on a fallacy. We will never be worthy enough to deserve an audience with God. And you can never be too broken and worthless that He will not listen to you when you call on Him. And so when we think that we are somewhere in, in the middle there, we end up doing, doing nothing. Psalm 51, 6 through 10 um, says this Behold, you desire truth in the innermost being, and in the hidden part you will make me know wisdom. Purify me with hyssop, and I will be clean. Wash me, and I shall be whiter than snow. 
Make me to hear joy and gladness. Let the bones which you have broken rejoice. Hide your face from my sins and blot out all my iniquities. Create in me a clean heart, O God, and renew a steadfast spirit within me. And I think if we know the backstory to when this was written, there was no running from God because I, I need to get better. This is, this is at the bottom. You know, so we say maybe we, are, we fear God's judgment, but I would like to turn that around and say that um, I think that we need, we need God's judgment in our lives. Um, you know, God's judgment is about making things right. It's about cleaning the dirt and filth from his image, which is us, and making us whole and clean again. You know, the holy fire of God burning the impurities from within us and purifying us. And oh, how we long for things to be made right in our lives. I think that's something that we all have in common. Um, even those that are not in church this morning, we, we so long for things to be right in our lives, for we ourselves to be made right. Right? But hiding from God and avoiding God is like being sick and refusing to go to the doctor. We hide from Him because we feel like if we let Him see us like we truly are, we will be naked and exposed before Him and rejected. And just like that, we are back in the first garden with the first Adam, hiding because we are fearful and ashamed. But again, let me ask you this question. Do you not want the world to be made right? Not just you, but the world. Do we not want the world to be made right? Do we not want evil to be defeated, wrongs righted, justice to flow? Do we not long for that? And how can this be brought about if we do not allow ourselves to be vessels towards that end? And not merely allow, but desire with all our hearts to be transformed, to be redeemed, to be restored, made whole. You know, we pray that God's will will be done on earth just as it is in heaven. It's part of the Lord's Prayer. Um, sometimes failing to see that we are earth. It will be done on earth as it is in heaven. And as I know I've said before, but again, it, it seems relevant. And so, I, I, again, I say this focusing on myself. You guys can just listen in at this point. Um, sometimes it seems like we care more about being saved from the consequences of our sin than from sin itself. From the consequences of our sin than from the very sin itself. In a life of prayer, communion with God, I believe, is the only remedy to this amnesia that we experience. So this is not about merely starting a good habit or wanting to do your part so that God owes you when we, when we need Him. And obviously, we don't view it that way, but we're like, hey, if I, if I put the time in, then when I need God and call upon Him, He's probably more likely to like, hear me. That's not, that's not what I'm getting at here. Uh, this is about being open and receptive to God's grace. Um, do we understand that being able to, to like, like Fred shared this morning, being able to talk to God, um, that is grace in our lives. When we come to prayer or attempt to remain in prayer, we are not only coming with something to offer, we are more truly opening a conduit and keeping it open where we can allow the Spirit to communicate for us to the Father. And this is so important in our lives. Um, when we are open in silence for God, when we allow Him into our thoughts and decisions and actions, when we filter everything of the day through Him, 
it will change us. The way we treated someone, the decision to tell the half-truth because it's easier, our heart and thoughts will be laid bare before Him. And that can be very scary. Um, But it will make a difference. Not because we are scared of judgment, but because when we experience life for who He is, to remain in a life of selfishness and death becomes unthinkable. Maybe the third reason we avoid a life of prayer is because we feel like we don't have the time or are too focused on other things. Uh, maybe we don't, we don't really have the time. And, you, you know, your mind uh, will do anything it can to take you to the past or to take you to the future. It will distract you. It will want to be entertained. It will want to be amused. Um, You know, we worry about the past, we worry about the future. We regret the past, we plan for the future. Um, But the only time that we can experience God is in the present. That's it. And we spend so much of the present being torn either back or forward. It is when we withdraw from the distractions of our world and mind and seek to encounter our Father that He may be found. Matthew 7, 7 says... Ask, and it will be given to you. Seek, and you will find. Knock, and it will be opened to you. So living a life of prayer involves action. And I think we we know that, but we we actually have to engage. If you want to hear from God, we have to seek Him. We must search after, look, strive for, desire Him. We must be willing to knock. Knock and it will be opened to you. We have to be willing to knock. For how will the door be opened to us if we will not journey to Him who is the door and knock? And I'm not saying that God is not here and so we must you know, journey somewhere to find Him. Um, you know, more likely we may find we must journey away from the things that distract and claim our attention and into the quiet wilderness or mountaintop to be alone with God. It's like the opposite. Um, We may have to remove ourselves from certain things. You know, we are familiar with the phrase, um, you are what you eat. Is everybody here familiar with that phrase? Does anybody hate that phrase? I do not look like a piece of pizza up here. Anyway. um, But I believe that spiritually this applies uh, as well. Um, Do we spend time eating, partaking of Christ, the tree of life? Or do we find ourselves mesmerized by the allure and the taste of the other tree? The tree of this fallen world. And and I'm not advocating for an ascetic lifestyle where we reject all pleasures and joys. Uh, I'm not saying that. Uh, But I am asking us to take inventory of our lives and the amount of time that we spend seeking things that are not from above. Um, if anything, just take inventory um, and, and, and see that. Because we can say, I just don't have time, I'm so busy. Um, what are we spending our time on? You know, instead of venturing out into the wilderness to pray, we find a way to kill a few, a few hours. We've got some time, you know. Um, how many times have we made the statement, I'm so bored? So bored. Man. Mostly, where are the young ones at? So bored. Um, and we have yet to spend time alone with God. 
And slowly but surely, with our time and our minds, we begin to worship the created things and not the Creator. And yet in moments when we have roused from our inebriation, sensing the emptiness and unfulfillment of our lives, we ask, why do I not seem close to God, and why does He seem so far away? By prioritizing time alone with God, I believe we will find it easier to put all the other things in their right and proper places. And I think that's part of what living a life of prayer does. I'm not, I'm not saying reject all these things completely. That's not what I'm saying. But when we prioritize a prayer time with God, it helps us reorient everything else. You know, I've not met a single person, including myself, who regretted the amount of time that they spent in prayer. Now, maybe you can answer that question. But just think about that. If you look back on your life, would you say, you know what, one thing that I did this past year that I need to change is I spent too much time in prayer. And I think that the answer to that should be a challenge for us. And so, uh, lastly, the fourth point here, um, reasons why we may shy away from this. Um, And again, not all these apply to everybody, but um, this one I think is is interesting. Um, We may shy away from it because prayer at some point involves silence. Prayer at some point involves silence. You know, it doesn't take us long to realize how uncomfortable silence can be. Um, When we choose to place ourselves in a state of silence, it can be, as I said, deafening. Making the decision to turn off the car radio, turn off the podcast, to be alone in our thoughts can be very intimidating. For those of you that think that I'm overselling this, and maybe I am, but why don't you try it this next week? Sometime when you're driving where you normally have the radio on or normally this or that, just just be quiet. Just have nothing on and just don't let your thoughts, just, you know, turn everything off. Intentionally choose not to add noise to your day at some point and quiet yourself before God. There is something unnerving about being alone and exposed with our thoughts before God that too many times we prefer to use noise and distraction as fig leaves to hide. Silence can make us uncomfortable. Yet Jesus sought out silence. So I'm bringing it back to this point of like, is there something to be learned when we look at this aspect of Jesus' life? If we look at the example of Jesus, we see that many times he left the crowds and his friends and physically removed himself from the noise and sought his father. This took action, in his case, actually relocating. If Jesus needed time alone with his Father, do we not as well? This is a question. Um, And there were so many good things, good things for us, but good things for him, um, that he could have been doing. You know, spending more time with his disciples, teaching the people, healing others. Uh, It wasn't that Jesus was a recluse and didn't like people. We know he loved people more than we could ever understand. Yet he knew that everything in life flowed out of his Father, out of his relationship with his Father. And we can become distracted by good things as well. Responsibilities, obligations, even things that God has called us to do. We must always remember that these things, though, good, in and of themselves, can never satisfy. Only God can fulfill only God can truly satisfy. You know, God, God dwells in silence. That is how we meet Him. 
Our world is full of noise and distraction and mindless chaoticness, so much so that we can convince ourselves, along with Elijah, that hearing from God must take on the same fashion. And yet God dwells not in the roaring wind that rends the mountains, breaking the rocks into pieces, nor in the upheaval and calamity of an earthquake, nor in the scorching fury and hunger of an unquenchable fire, but in a still, small voice. If you are finding it hard to make time for prayer in your life, and I'm saying this seriously, schedule some silence. Schedule silence. Sometimes we need to quit talking so that we can hear from God. If the only time we spend in prayer each day, we spend talking, how can we ever truly expect to hear from God? And so in in closing, uh, we've talked a lot about different reasons why we may shy away from um, a life of prayer. Um, But I'd like to say a little bit about maybe what a life of prayer looks like. We've kind of talked about it from from the backside here. Um, well, first of all, I'm not going to define it with a simple definition because it can be many things. Um, you know, Jesus went to the wilderness to the mountaintop. This doesn't necessarily mean that we have to do that. But uh, sometimes that may help. Um, because we know we can pray anywhere, does that make it easier for us to pray nowhere? What if you or I journeyed to a specific place to pray. Has anybody here ever said, you know what, this Saturday, I'm going to hike to this mountain, I'm going I'm to pray. That's what I'm doing. The journey to get there, the prayer time, the journey, like, do you understand what I'm saying, this priority of actually doing it? We don't need to go to a mountain to pray to God. That's, we don't need to do that. Um, but, Jesus, but Jesus did it. Would physically removing yourself from the distractions of this world make a difference? You tell me. But the one thing that a life of prayer entails is openness to God. A desire to see God and be seen by Him. To communicate with God. To communicate with God. Fred, what's the biggest mistake with communication? The illusion that it happened. happened. I'm going to go out on a limb and say this morning that the biggest mistake we make with prayer is assuming that it happened. Assuming that it happened. We must make a life of prayer a priority. It will not happen on its own. And I think we can look at our lives and realize that a life of prayer doesn't just happen on its own. We must seek daily to allow God to mold and shape us. Remember, um, just two of the the scriptures that we read earlier um, say, Rejoice always, pray without ceasing, and everything give thanks, for this is God's will for you in Christ Jesus. And with all prayer and petition, pray at all times in the Spirit. You know, we can consider reciting prayers or using a prayer book. You know, it's interesting. um, I was thinking about this. We would never only use a devotional if we wrote it. We would never only use a hymn book if we wrote the songs. Yet we shy away from using prayers that other people have written. At least in my life that I have. Written prayers can be just as edifying as a song of worship we, we didn't write or a challenging devotional. And so that's something that maybe, um, if you're like, I, just, my, my, I don't know how to pray. There are prayers that the church has written 
that, that have been impactful to help open us up, enlighten our minds, um, maybe, maybe look into that. Um, again, it's, we sing songs about Scripture, but we don't like want to pray prayers. Um, and I don't know exactly what that is, um, but I was thinking about that, and that, that kind of struck me. Um, some people <clears throat> uh, choose to recite prayers. Some meditate on Scripture. Others assume a posture that allows them to meditate on God. Others converse with God by going for a walk in the woods and praising Him out loud with words or by going out on the tractor and talking to God. Others prefer to pray in silence. Although sometimes words are used to convey our thoughts, they are not always necessary. A life of prayer involves listening, and we must live in a way that we are able to listen. There are those who spend time in prayer contemplating, meditating on God, and therefore living out the verse, be still and know that I am God. Uh, there's, a, uh, there's a story of an old farmer that was found in a church by a priest, just, just sitting there, just staring, you know, middle of the day, just staring at the, at the altar. And the, um, the priest asked the man what he was doing, and the man replied, I look at him, and he looks at me. I look at God, and God looks back at me. Prayer is a desire to see God and be seen by Him. A life of prayer is living that out. But all of these involve an intentional openness, a desire to know and be known. And so, every day we come knowing we are broken, seeking to be healed. We come sinful, seeking to be forgiven. We come tired and weary, seeking rest. We come redeemed, seeking to worship our Redeemer. We come like a child, seeking to be held by our Father. And I want to close with this quote by um, a, um, an Orthodox theologian named Paul Edakimov. And it says this, or he said this, It is not enough to say prayers. We must become, be prayer, prayer incarnate. All of life, each act, every gesture, even the smile of the human face, must become a hymn of adoration and offering a prayer. One should not offer, one should offer not what one has, but what one is. One should offer not what one has, but what one is. Let's pray. Father, we, we thank you for the invitation to seek you. Where you say, if we seek you, we will find you. If we knock, the door will be opened. To draw near to you. That when we call out to you, you will hear us. Help us to live a life of open communication and prayer with you as we seek to become more like your son. In Jesus' name, amen.